What's going on, folks? Uh, I guess there's no real title for this show or episode. Uh, going to be doing the Contender Series breakdowns moving forward. I did not bother with week one, but, you know, got to start adding some more content to the channel. As you guys know, as I spoke about yesterday on the Fight Day live chat, I was talking about doing a show Monday through Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, just pretty much called, like, MMA lock talk where I just chop it up with the uh, the live stream for as much as possible uh, for, you know, uh, for an hour, pretty much every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, won't be starting it tomorrow because tomorrow is actually a statutory holiday up here in, uh, in Canada or specifically Ontario, I should say. So I'm going to be spending the time with, with the family and all, so I won't be doing it tomorrow, but I will start it on Tuesday at 4 p.m. But not just the MMA Lock Talk I want to continue to bring to this channel, but it is the Contender Series that I want to start focusing on a little bit more. Now, I will start this podcast off as I'm going to start every single podcast off when I talk about the Contender Series. I want to put a big, you know, flashing red light saying warning warning uh in regards to contender series fights because the the reason i haven't usually covered them in the past is because of the whole stipulations regarding the fights right you need to go out there have a highlight real performance and then you'll be able to make it to the ufc right and dana harped on it a lot last week and i'm assuming a lot of the fighters that are coming up now are going to be taking that to heart and being like hey i need to you know, I need to dial it in. I need to make sure that I go out there and have an efficient and spectacular performance so that I can get signed to the UFC and this whole contender series experiment ends up being, you know, profitable and not just a showcase spot for me where I just go back onto the regional scene. So that alone scares me enough away from like putting legit money on the contender series because I've seen guys sway from what we've seen on tape just so they can go out there and get a, you know, spectacular finish. And, you know, you got to risk it to get the biscuit essentially, right? That's what the saying is. And unfortunately there are guys that risk it sway from the game plans and end up getting knocked out or getting finished in their own right. So that's what scares me off ultimately in terms of putting big money on contender series fights. But what I normally do is just I, I go in, I do the research, I do what I do for normal UFC fights, and, and I want to give you guys what I've come back with, what I see on tape, and then I'll give you guys the information you guys do with it as you please. I will be giving my picks and predictions, obviously, for every single matchup, but just know that I'm not going heavy in terms of uh, betting on the contender series just because of how it's set up and what the show is actually meant to be. And I would you know, urge you guys as well to be very careful in terms of how much you actually guys, how much you guys wager on the contender series and, uh, you know, just, just not exposing yourself to it too much in this spot. All right. Let me just take a couple of these quick questions here. Appreciate you guys uh, joining us as always. Tim Triano in the chat. Mr. Jingles in the chat. Dirty River Fish saying good shit on Moreno on the Moreno call. Out of buddy, super confident in Pantoja too. So part of those two to barely stay positive. Yes, those are two big and seemingly really good spots as well. Ian Wind in the chat. Appreciate you stopping by, my friend. Mr. Always Profit saying lock. Great 277. Morono Viva Mexico. Happy for James Cross. Yes, Morona and Moreno got it done yesterday. So shout out to everybody hopping on that. Gorilla Gambles in the chat. Hustle Hog. Sasri Kalabaji. Appreciate you stopping by as well. 
and Mr. Jingo saying nothing wrong with a little DJ and parley on the contender series. That's what I put at the bottom of my uh, contender series preview that I dropped on the Patreon as well is I'll still give you guys like a, a two or three leg parlay that I feel somewhat good about, but still not going uh, heavy on it in terms of making it like a four, you know, anything more than two units on it. Uh, I'd be uh, sweating my balls off a little bit too much. So, all right. Uh, more or less saying, good job, Lock. Uh, sorry, nice job, Lock. Most people, including Sharps, got killed last night. I was surprised at the amount of people that ended up taking L's last night. You know, a lot of juicy spots in terms of plus money that uh, people seem to be chasing, myself included, right? I got screwed on Kim. Uh, but thankfully, Nego Marianu, uh, Morono, Moreno, obviously, as my Lock in the Night play coming through, but a couple other big spots as well. All right, let's get into the breakdowns here. Uh, Dirty River Fish saying, last time I lost a lock with an I play, it actually wasn't that long ago. It was uh, uh, UFC Vegas 58. So it was the card before the Ortega and Yair card. Uh, I lost on the under two and a half in Nermago Madoff versus Dion Draj. But uh, since then, I've only had two lock with an I plays. Both of them ended up hitting. Uh, I might have one for this weekend as well, but we'll see how that goes. All right. I want to keep this uh, pertaining to the Contender Series event that we got coming up on Tuesday because, uh, uh, like I said, on Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, I'm going to be doing that MMA Lock Talk show where I'm just talking to the chat. So I'll be happy to talk about this past event on that show. Uh, just for the audio listeners who are going to be listening to this after the fact, I want to keep this focused in on the Contender Series so I won't be taking too many questions or, or comments unless it pertains to the actual matchup that I'm talking about. All right. Let's get started on the card here. We got five fights on the contender series this weekend. Knock on wood, all guys make weight. And, you know, nobody comes in 10 pounds overweight like the guy that was supposed to fight uh, uh, Javid. I believe it was Javid Bashret, um, or his brother. Uh, unfortunately, he did not get to fight last week because his opponent missed weight by 10 pounds. Not a good look. So uh, keep your eyes peeled on the the weigh-ins tomorrow all right first fight of the night this one i'm very excited for we got billy goff against shimon smotritsky in terms of odds uh i should probably have this up and ready to go should i <laughs> uh in terms of odds we got billy goff coming in as a minus 240 uh favorite plus 200 the return on shimon uh what i what i've been doing when i'm researching these fights i are not even looking at the odds pre-fight like i'll i'll do all my research come up with my prediction, set a line myself, and then see what the odds are afterwards and then determine my play after that, or at least, you know, prediction and then obviously a betting tip as well. And, you know, I, I did obviously look at the Shimon side first because I'm a little bit familiar with him considering he went out there and and lost to my guy Mike Malott last season on the contender series relatively quickly, but I had already researched him a little bit in the past, so I thought I'd just quickly refresh my memory in terms of what he brings to the table. Seems like a guy that goes out there and relies on big moments, right? Like, he he throws with a lot of heat behind his strikes. He likes to get involved in the clinch and try to, you know, smother his opponents there. Um Level of competition has been a little bit sketchy outside of his that one fight against, uh, let me just pull it up here, uh, the fight before the Mike Malott fight, the split decision victory over Sergei Yeskovitz. Uh, that was a very close fight. Both guys having success up against the cage with the clinching, um, but it was Shimon who was ended up landing the more damaging blows that night, which is why I believe he ended up getting the win. Uh, came in a little bit reckless against Mike Malat on the contender series. Gets wrapped up in a guillotine choke. Uh, maybe that's what Malat saw on tape, right? Like he saw that um, 
uh, Smotritsky is is kind of reckless when he goes for those takedowns, and Mike Malach just cinched up that guillotine choke and took it on home with him, earning himself a contract in the UFC as well. Uh, and then Shimon, since then, uh, went back to the RCC promotion and fought former UFC fighter William Macario. Uh, Macario, not that great of a fighter to begin with, right? Let's not get too crazy considering that he was on the in the UFC. He did get one win in the UFC. Uh, actually, so he was on the Ultimate Fighter Brazil season two, won four fights on the Contender Series, uh, and then in fell short in the uh, in the finale. He actually has a win over Tiago Santos on the Contender Series, which I find to be quite wild. Uh, that fight did take place at 170 pounds, and obviously we know that Tiago Santos has put on the weight, right? Went up to 185 after that, went up to 205 pounds after that. But he did beat four guys on in the house on the Ultimate Fighter, but then ended up losing via arm triangle choke to Leonardo Santos. That seemed like a foregone conclusion as well, considering that he was a plus 160 underdog in that fight. Follows that up with a big win over Bobby Volker back in December of 2013. Um, good win for him, right? Volker was a veteran at that time with, 20, with the 24 and 10 record, but he grinds that fight out. And then obviously loses his next two fights to Neil Magny and Matt Dwyer and gets cut. But he has lost to a couple of people on the contender series, uh, or sorry, on the regional scene, including Shimon Smotritsky in his last fight. Uh, Smotritsky, you know, landed a big shot on the feet, uh, eventually followed up with some ground and pound and got him out of there. Again, uh, not the most sold on him, right? The level of competition before even coming to the contender series was sketchy outside of that Sergei Yuskevich fight, like I said. But when he does start fighting these steps up in competition, he starts to fall short, right? Macario is a far cry from the guy that beat Bobby Volker back in 2013, you know, especially eight years later. So uh, I think he relies on his strength and his clinch game a little bit too much. And I think he's going to get outworked here by Billy Goff, who, in my opinion, is just a much better overall fighter. He's coming into the contender series as a champ champ from the CES promotion where he uh, won the welterweight title two fights ago, followed that up with the big one in the with the middleweight title um, and beating Justin Sm Sumter, who, if I'm not mistaken, actually got his own crack on the contender series. Yeah, back in 2018, he lost to Ian Heinish since then. Uh, gone two and four, which includes that loss to Billy Goff. Uh, also includes a loss to Mackie Patolo on the contender series, which was his second stint on the contender series. Safe to say, Sumter probably not making it back to the contender series after losing those two fights. But Billy Goff, the only two losses on his record. Now, I haven't been able to check out the, the Cameron Lachinov fight. Lachinov was a guy that made it onto the contender series most recently, but that was his first loss. Uh, he lost that fight via decision. Got to believe that it went, uh, you know, that it was a close fight. Then the second fight, the Jonathan Pico fight, it lost that via doctor cut stoppage. They could have kept that fight going. They absolutely could have kept that fight going. Not sure what the, the ref was seeing there. Maybe just being a little bit extra cautious. Uh, so I wouldn't look too much into that Jonathan Pico fight uh, and, and the fact that he has a loss there. But since then, you know, pulls off the victory as a minor, or sorry, as a plus 400 underdog against Hobson Gracie in his Bellator fight uh, or second Bellator fight. And then followed that up with four straight victories over his next four fights. Uh decisions sean lally uh you know hard fought decision in terms of mixing in his total mma game uh you know landing takedowns getting dirty in the clinch uh putting pressure on his opponents and that's where i find very impressive about his game is just that 
nonstop workmanlike attitude of mixing in his striking with his grappling and making it very rough for his opponents to have any type of success. So unless he gets out muscled here by Shimon, which I don't think is going to be that live, I don't think he gets out wrestled by Shimon either. So uh, Smotritsky is going to have to lean on uh, a Hail Mary shot, in my opinion, which is why I believe he's a plus 200 in this spot. But I think Billy Goff absolutely outworks him here and then eventually finishes him later on in this spot. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to go Billy Goff pretty easy here, in my opinion. Um as long as he doesn't get clipped early or clipped early, he should be good to go for the rest of the card. I see the chat still talking about the fights from last night, which I don't blame you for, right? We're still high off that uh that, but let's keep it uh if you guys want me to at least uh acknowledge a comment or something, try to keep it on the fights that I'm talking about. My guy Nick Rodriguez is on the uh Shimon train. As an underdog spot, I'll never ever talk anybody off of an underdog spot, but uh, I think the line is accurate absolutely where it's at right now. Minus 240. Uh, I'll, I will I wouldn't mind Billy Goff in, in a bit of a parlay spot here, but I think he runs through. Shimon eventually finishes him later on in this fight. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got a sloppy heavyweight slugfest that's likely headed our way between Waldo Cortez Acosta against Danilo Suzart in terms of odds. Same odds as the last... Actually, sorry, uh, there is another fight with the same odds as the last fight, but this one is actually minus 340 for Waldo Cortez Acosta, plus 280 to return for Danilo Suzart. You guys remember um, Carlos Felipe, Biggie Boy, or, or sorry, not Biggie Boy, that's... Uh, that's fucking uh, Jerzyna Rosenstrike, but Carlos Felipe uh, Boy, I think his nickname was. This Suzard is a training partner of Boy, and they pretty much fight the same. They almost even look the same. This guy's just a darker version of him, right? He's a thick boy, likes to throw uh, leather, likes to drag fights into slugfests. Um, you know, not the most technical with the striking, but he does have some pop on his shots. He's very durable as well. Dealt with the grapple-heavy approach in his last fight in Aries FC, where he ended up capturing their heavyweight title that night um, against Benjamin Sehic. Uh, you know, took a took a a beating in that fifth round in terms of the getting grapple fucked by Benjamin that spot. Uh, Benjamin made it clear right off the jump that he wanted to get this into the grappling realm. We saw great submission defense from uh, Danilo that night, managed to work back to his feet. And whenever he was in the striking realm, he was able to get off the bigger and better shots against Benjamin, which is why I believe he ended up capturing that gold that night. But not a lot of tape on him, right? There's the Marconi Dos Santos fight, which says it's a rear naked choke. Did not look like a rear naked choke to me at all. It just seemed like his opponent gave up and uh, tapped out, per se, because he just couldn't get Suzard off of him. And he was the one that was actually initiating the grappling exchanges was Marconi Dos Santos. It just ended up uh, that Danilo ended up on top of him, and he was just raining down shots, and he just tapped out from that. The Macon-Douglas fight, very close back-and-forth fight. Both guys having tremendous success with the grappling. Both guys having success with the clinch game. Very close fight. Ended up being a loss via majority decision. And that's the only loss on Danilo's uh, uh, professional MMA record. Like I said, the only other fight that was available for, for me to watch and, and actually find was the Benjamin Sehich fight, which, which went the full 25 minutes. Uh, again, showed off great durability, showed off solid grappling defense to a certain extent. He was still getting wrecked in certain spots, but he managed to 
gutted out. Uh, and, uh, you know, whenever the fight was in the striker room, he was able to land the bigger and better strikes, which is why he ended up getting the decision that night. So if you think he can go out there and have a similar performance to what Carlos Felipe has been able to do in the UFC, it's absolutely possible he can spring off the big upside here. On the flip side, for Waldo Cortez Acosta, seems to show a little bit more of a complete game while still being raw, right? He doesn't uh, flinch from uh, engaging in the clinch or looking to get his opponents to the ground. He's another guy that dealt with a lot of, uh, you know, grapple-heavy type opponents on the regional scene because guys want to get a hold of him, drag him to the ground, and uh, try to just, you know, get away from the big punching power that he presents. Now, he has a couple of decision victories on his record, which I find quite uh, impressive to go out there and, you know, put on a bit of a pace on his opponents, you know, almost being close to finishing some of these guys at times, but just grinding them out and then taking that decision victory. Very impressive on my end. He's fought some decent competition. I'd say probably better competition than Dan than Danilo Suzart. Um, but this is a fight where, the whole Dana White speech has me a little bit freaked out, right? If Dana has, if these guys heard what Dana said last night or last event, uh, especially the whole B. Joe Pfeiffer thing, right? Uh, that might encourage these guys to just go out there and have a slugfest. And Waldo might, you know, um, Waldo might comply all in hopes of getting a contract and getting signed to the UFC. But if there were none of those stipulations behind this, I think he could absolutely grind Danilo into the cage. You know, Danilo showed some uh, weaknesses up against the cage in a couple of his fights. And I feel like Waldo will be the bigger and stronger and a more imposing guy in this spot, which is why he's the big favorite here. He has some big punching power, but he has the ability to mix this up and not just make it a slugfest. It just comes down to can he put enough of a pressure and pace on Danilo with his grappling and his clinching to eventually finish him later on in this fight? Because that's how he can get a contract. It's that way. Paint a picture uh, in this fight by making it dirty, making it grindy, and pushing Danilo up against the cage and, and kind of sucking his gas tank dry in that fashion. So um, I don't mind uh, the, the shot on Waldo here. I'm just not the biggest in terms of parlaying low-level heavyweights, right? I get it. He captured the uh, LFA heavyweight title in his last fight uh, in the third round, albeit against the, the former champion, Thomas Peterson. But I would still consider this somewhat of a low-level heavyweight fight. Like, Waldo has the potential to crack the top 15 considering how thin the heavyweight division is just off of his size, frame, and physicality alone. But as these guys start facing legitimate resistance, guys that can get out of that clinch position, guys that can strike even better than them, these guys are going to get squashed. But in terms of this one, I, I could see it being close with Suzart, you know, disengaging from the clinch and, and letting his strikes go, maybe landing them more better shots. But Waldo will likely have the advantage when they're clinched up, pushed up against the cage. Uh, if he chips away at him with uh, knees and, and soft punches to ultimately drag this fight to the ground, yes, he can make this look very dominant on the ground as well. But Danilo has shown he's been very durable in the past as well against guys that might be better BJJ specialists than what Waldo brings to the table. But Waldo's a ground and pound specialist. This guy likes getting those guys to the ground and, and really roughing them up there. Um, uh, one thing, uh, last thing I'll say about this matchup, when these guys do seem to get involved in the clinch and takedowns, it seems it's because the opponent is trying to get that going. But more often than not, when those, their opponents try for the trip takedowns or takedowns, period, they get reversed, and then these guys end up on top of them. But it does seem that Waldo has a little bit more in his bag of tricks in terms of dragging fights to the ground if he needs to here. 
I'm expecting him to push Danilo up against the cage, drag him to the ground, wear on him, and then eventually get him out of there in that second or third round. So Waldo Cortez Acosta is going to be the pick here. I will never, you know, bang on people to go out there and parlay Waldo with a, a ton of stuff here because he could absolutely fumble the bag in this spot. So, um, yeah. There you guys go. More or less, just going back to the golf fight here real quick, saying which fights has golf shown a dominant wrestling performance? Uh, he's shown off a, a great cardio overall performance in the majority of his fights, actually. Let me just quickly look back at his record here to kind of get ring ring the bell here real quick for me. The, the Sean Lally fight, watch the Sean Lally fight, see him have a tremendous amount of grappling success there. Uh, obviously, the Hobson Gracie... Hobson Gracie fight, he wanted to keep on the feet, and he was absolutely punishing him on the feet there. Marty Navis, I think he finished on the feet. Gary Belletto, I think he finished uh, with Belletto just kind of giving up in that spot, if I'm not mistaken. And even the Justin Sumter fight, I think that's one that he ended up dragging to the ground as well. But uh, you see it in all of his fights. It's a constant theme, is pace, pressure, and mixing up MMA as much as possible. <clears throat> Striking, grappling, all that stuff. So there you go. Um, Buffalo on the beat giving me the thick Diaz reminding me of Carlos Philippe. Um, Face tat Carlos says Jonathan Jones says yes. PED Carlos, I love it. Dropped by the UFC for PEDs, absolutely. Uh, Let's see here. HSB is on the Cortez side. I don't blame you for that. Nick Rodriguez is saying, what I'd like to see in these betting videos is the prediction of the line move, if it will go up or down. Um, not, not a bad suggestion. I think that we might see a little bit of money coming in on Shimon. We are kind of actually seeing it now, now that I'm looking at bet online. And I'll talk about it as we get through each matchup. But uh, I think I think Waldo will continue to increase as a favorite. I think we might see a little bit of buyback on Shimon, but I don't think you'll get anything crazy for, where we'll still end up getting Billy Goff around that minus 200 line. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. The closest fight on the card. And for good reason, we got Francis Marshall coming in right now as the Minus 105. I'm seeing minus 125. I'm even seeing up to minus 130 on Betway. Uh, so he's going to be the slight favorite just for all intents and purposes. Uh, Connor, Connor Matthews coming in as the plus 105 dog. Um, fun fun uh, matchup to tape study here, right? Both guys are 5-0. and Both guys show great promise in their in their game. And the one thing I said right off the bat in my my written breakdown for this on the contender series or sorry on the patreon for the contender series was that both these guys will make it to the ufc eventually it's unfortunate that both of their paths have to cross here one of these guys is going to end up losing they're going to end up taking one or two more fights on the regional scene they might even come back and, and fight on a future contenders uh, uh card maybe even on this season later on similar to what kyle baraglio did when he beat darren jeffrey and then had to take one more fight before he got signed I, I could see something happening similar here where 
even if the guy ends up losing, they'll probably get the quick call back just so they can eventually make it to the UFC. But both guys, very skilled. We'll start off on the Francis Marshall side. The kid has some solid wrestling chops. Um, his jiu-jitsu looks great. Obviously, four of his five wins coming via a rear naked choke. He, you know, very crisp striker as well. Does a really good job in terms of putting his punches together, following up with takedowns, dragging guys to the mat, and then just passing guard uh, and showcasing good work on the ground. Um, I'd say out of both guys, the toughest fight for any of them was probably Francis Marshall against Ray Trujillo. He has a 24 and 30 record. Don't let that like, you know, scare you off too much. Like the, the guy's a veteran, right? He's, he has taken uh, very, very rough and, and tough fights right now. He's sitting 24 and 34, but just looking at some of the, the matchups that he's had um, quickly running through his record here, Jason Knight, um, Brandon Davis, uh, Daniel Pineda, uh, Levi Moles, Matt Bissett, Colton Unglin, former contender series fighter as well. Uh, Jamal Emers, who he actually ended up beating back in uh, January of 2015. Uh, Cosmo Alexandre, Gabriel Benitez, Leonard Garcia, Chad Skelly. Kevin Aguilar. Um, Daniel Pineda again. So this guy's been fighting like solid competition since 2009. He's been known as that regional guy that just, you know, goes out there and does the job, but he'll put up a solid, um, you know, solid durability. He'll put up solid resistance, which makes some of these guys work. And I was very impressed with what I saw with uh, Francis Marshall in that fight. Just complete grappling dominance there. Um, so good work from him. Again, sharp striker, good grappling. Would give uh, a lot of the guys in the UFC's featherweight division uh, a very tough time. Now on the flip side, or sorry, and, and just to finish off with Francis Marshall, he's from uh, Kurt Pellegrino School um, up there in uh, the New Jersey area. Shout out to anybody that recognizes Kurt Pellegrino's name, but a uh, very solid UFC fighter from back in the day. Um, so Francis Marshall pretty much been coming up from under his ranks on the flip side for Connor Matthews. He's coming from the Northeast as well. He trains at uh Lozon's gym uh, up there in Massachusetts, but he has his own gym as well. Now this guy, he actually had his first ever amateur MMA fight way back in 2011. His last, uh, sorry, he had three fights from 2011 to 2012. Then he took six years off because apparently he joined the army, did his time over there, and then came back in 2018, went two and one in those uh, those last three amateur fights that he had. But he did end up coming into uh, uh, the, the professional scene uh, off a win. Uh, knocking out a guy in nine seconds. Then in his professional debut, knocks out the guy in seven seconds. So he has four wins sub one minute on his professional MMA record. Um, he has a total of five minutes and 10 seconds of cage time in his professional MMA record. The longest of which came up against infamous Jay Ellis, who was 15 and 97 at the time. Take this in. He took that fight. That was July of 2021. So just under a year ago, Jay Ellis was nine, 15 and 97. Now he's sitting at 16 and 105. So he's gone one and eight since that fight in a year. He's fought nine times in a year, being that short notice guy that just comes in. 
And he did pick up a win in that stretch, like I said, against Rodrigo Almeida. That guy should probably hang it up considering he lost 49 seconds into that first round. But getting back to Connor Matthews, the guy hits with a lot of power. The guy has a solid wrestling background from what I've been hearing as well. He mixes it up with the New England cartel guys as well. Um, I did message my guy, um, guy Tyson Chartier, <clears throat> just to see what this guy's quick thoughts on Chartier, or sorry, on Matthews was. Let me see if he uh, got back to me. Uh, all he said was, uh, he's good, well-rounded. <laughs> so there you guys have it in terms of what he brings to the table. But um, yeah, it, it's tough when we don't have a, lo a lot of data on a guy like this, right? Like when you're just going out there and smoking these guys out within a minute, it's tough to truly grasp how good this guy is, right? Because Francis Marshall is going to give way more resistance than any of these guys have given him in the past. You know, he's going to test him in the grappling. But in terms of the striking, I think Matthews likely is the heavier puncher. He has a ton of power on his shots. And I think that might even stifle some of the, the confidence that Francis Marshall has coming into this fight. And then if it does get sucked into the to the grappling realm, you know, I think Connor Matthews is good enough with his BJJ and his own wrestling to, to make it competitive. Like, I do think that this will be a close fight no matter where it takes place. But I think the distinct advantage will come on the Connor Matthews side in regards to the power that he's able to put on Francis Marshall here. It, again, very tough for me to have uber confidence on the Matthew side considering the lack of data we have. But if, I'm hoping that we go out there and see him get dragged into the second and third rounds and see how he deals with those guys at, at that point. If this turns out to be strictly a striking battle, got to lean with the power that Carter Matthews shows. Although Francis Marshall's technical striking seems to be pretty damn good. So both these guys very, very skilled. This is a very tough fight to call, which is why it's a pick -em. Obviously, it seems like the money coming in on the Francis Marshall side. And normally, I go with the guy that has more data, right? The guy that we've seen go into the second, third rounds, go to a decision, having to dig deep and really grind these guys out. That's the guy that I would normally uh, lean on. But Connor Matthews, man, kid seems... Kid seems very talented and, and and entertaining as well. And he seems like he'd, he could have all the chops to go out there, land a big shot on Francis Marshall and put him away too. So um, my pick is going to be Connor Matthews. Um, I, I think he has a very exciting style. I think there's a lot of untapped potential in the kid as well, um, or at least unseen potential in the kid considering... Um, like I said, the lack of cage time we've actually seen from him. And although he does have a amateur loss on his record, I wish I could get um, tape on that. He actually has a four-second knockout loss on his uh, amateur record as well as a, a second-round TKO loss to Jimmy Wilson. I would love to see that tape to see, did that loss come via a flash knockout? Did that loss come via Connor Matthews gassing out? Tough to tell. So... um Lean is Connor Matthews here, not with too much conviction. I think he eventually uh, club and subs Francis Marshall later on in this fight, but hard to say that with uber confidence considering the lack of data here. Uh, let's see what the chat is saying here. Kung Dao Chicken, are you talking about Bo Nickel? Bo Nickel's next week. <laughs> we'll talk about Bo Nickel next week, my friend. Uh, Peachy saying, who's Waldo with the spinoff? I love it. Troy, thank me for the videos. I appreciate it, my friend. Okay, saying you were right about Hafa and semi-big respect. Appreciate the love and appreciate you coming up and, and owning it as well, too. Not a lot of guys do that. 
Kung Dao Chicken, do you think the fighters are more likely to try finishing this week after what Dana said last week about last week's horrible decisions? Absolutely. That's why I'm so uh, hesitant in terms of actually betting these spots because these guys might go out there and fight like they, you know, not fight like what I've seen on tape. That's what scares me, right? That stipulation is ultimately why I won't have big money on on any of these contender series spots. The most I can do for you guys and the, the value I can provide you guys is actually doing the studying, telling you guys what I see on tape, telling you, you know, interpreting their skill set and letting you guys know what I feel about it. And then you guys can take that information and uh, decide whether you want to wager on it. Uh, uh, Nick Rodriguez saying Francis and Connor give me the younger guy. Good point there, right? Uh, Connor Matthews is 30 years old, but I still feel he has less miles on his tank. Uh, I believe can't get the actual age here on Francis Marshall, but I do believe he is the the younger one. A lot of that time from Connor Matthews uh, being taken up by the military, right? From 2012 to 2018, the guy was off the map. So looks good, though. Looks very good. Appreciate everybody in the chat. Buffalo on the beat saying, Lock, is there a prop for over-under total contracts given out? No, but I might be able to convince... Uh, the the cloud bet guys to put something up like that. There's someone back. He's saying if you get kind of surprised last night. I told you guys, like the guy is the guy will make you money in the UFC, no doubt about it. He beats a lot of the lower level guys. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got two fights left to wrap up this contender series fight. So far out of the first three fights I've gone through, like I said, I'll give you guys my quick prediction here. Uh, I'm taking Billy Goff over Shimon. I'm taking Waldo over Danilo, and I'm going to take Connor Matthews over Francis Marshall. All right, co-main event here. We got Shannon Ross going up against Vinicius Salvador. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 240 on Shannon Ross. I'm seeing him going up to minus 260 now on, on bet online, plus 220 the return on Venetia Salvador. So um, Shannon Ross, I couldn't really get a good grasp on what this guy's good at, right, in his earlier fights. But you see one fight where he gets grinded out. It was the uh, Ashkan Mokhtarian fight uh, where he gets grinded out. And I think from there, he kind of changes his approach. Because up until that point, seemed to be mainly a striker, right? A guy that wanted to go out there and just put his combinations together, try to knock you out, or at least throw more than you so that he ends up getting the judge's decision. Excuse me. But after going through the Ashkan Mokhtarian fight, he comes out with a more overall game plan right he he ends up going five and one in his next six fights after the ashkan fight that also included him capturing the eternal mma title uh which he ended up losing in, in his next fight um but what we saw from him was pressure clinch work and takedowns and i like seeing that right i like seeing guys that are willing to go to that extent in terms of implementing a more grapple-heavy approach in their games to make it more convincing for their side. That's what Ashkan did against him. So I think Shannon saw, I, I got to be more decisive in these spots. I got to go out there and and put together a full MMA game rather than just trying to strike with these guys. And don't get me wrong, he, he had a couple you know submission victories on his record before the Ashkan fight, but I think it's after that fight where we really see that evolution in him going out there, seeking takedowns, trying to grind guys through the mat, and and beat them just off of control and, and top damage. 
Uh, Vinicius Salvador, on the other hand, the guy looked fun, man. A ton of fights where I'm like, ooh, this this guy looks like he could be uh, a big threat. And, and another thing that I don't do before I run the tape is I don't look at the guy's records. I just go in blind as a bat, and I just, you know, try to make up my own narrative of, of these guys as I'm going through their fights chronologically. Once again, thanks to the Tape Index, and shout out to the Tape Index if you guys haven't already signed up for it, uh, especially for the Contender Series. Very, very important um, to have the Tape Index so you can get as much tape on some of these guys as possible, as regional tape is usually the hardest to get out there. But in terms of Salvador, one name that I, like all of his fights, obviously, in Brazil, or most of his fights in Brazil. I believe all of his fights, actually. So obviously the commentary is in Portuguese, and I can't understand Portuguese. Uh, but the one name that I kept he hearing over and over again when this guy fought was Anderson Silva. And you see flashes of it, right? The guy likes that entertaining striking style where he puts his hands down, uses head movement, uses that to get out of the way of his, uh, the big strikes of his opponent, and, and then he counters effectively as well. But the guys that end up having success against him are the guys that are able to get into the mat. And that's what I think that Shannon Ross can do in the spot. Vinicius will definitely be the better striker, right? Maybe not technically speaking, but in terms of implementing it in terms of an MMA game, he's very good in terms of, you know, getting in and out of uh, range of his opponent. And like I said, technically speaking, not the greatest because he wings a lot of his shots. A lot of them are wide winging hooks. They come from the hip and he just throws with ill intention. But when he can slow it down a little bit and actually put his punches together with actual technique, the guy looks good as well. It looks like he'll have a height and reach advantage in this fight, which he should be able to use with solid efficiency. But once Shannon Ross decides to close the gap here, close the distance, get his hands around him, I have no doubt that Shannon Ross will be able to drag him to the mat and make it a grindy fight. He's going to have to try to finish this on the mat as well because I'd be surprised if he lands anything big enough on the feet to give Vinicius trouble, especially with all the distance that he's going to have to cover. But I do think that from an overall MMA perspective, Shannon Ross should be minus 240. I will say this also about Shannon Ross, though. Durability seems to be a little bit fragile, right? He got hit by a guy that seemed to be mainly a jiu-jitsu guy. Uh, then again, um, sorry, let me just quickly get this guy's name. Uh, his last loss, uh, Steve Ersig. Um, the guy was an ISKA champion apparently in, in Australia, but I'm not sure how much that actually means. But this guy landed on him from distance, hurt him, got him to the ground, and then eventually got that rear naked choke. Vinicius could absolutely do the same thing here, which is why I don't have uber confidence on the Shannon Ross side. Because he can be hit, he can be staggered, he can be wobbled, and he can be dropped. Vinicius could absolutely do that to him here. I just don't have the ultimate confidence that Vinicius will do that. Maybe looking at Vinicius by KO whenever they drop those props, that might be the way to go here, as that will likely be his only path to victory. Whereas Shannon, I feel like if he gets this fight to the ground, he can make it very grimy. He can make it very difficult for Vinicius. And then it comes to question, will Shannon look to just grind him out? Or is he going to be another victim to that Dana White thing, right? Or be Joe Pfeiffer. Is he going to be a victim of that B. Joe Pfeiffer uh, um, speech that Dana had the other week? Is he going to give it up just so he can go out there and try to get a big finish here so he can get signed to the UFC? Big, big question marks. But he has a decided advantage in the grappling, and I think he'll be able to use that here effectively. If he sticks to his guns, he wins this fight with relative ease. But I do think that Salvador can make it somewhat sketchy, uh, especially if he's able to land that big power from the outside. So... This is a favorite I would probably stay off, although he might look minus 400 once it's all said and done. But Salvador is, in my opinion, the most live underdog in this spot to go out there and pull off a big upset. 
Uh, let's see. Let's see. Appreciate everybody in the chat as always. Uh, Nick Rodriguez saying loss to Mokhtarian. It's a red flag. Absolutely. I tweeted that out as well. When I first started my research on this card, I'm like, I'm automatically fading anybody that lost to a Mokhtarian, but you go back and watch that Mokhtarian fight. Mokhtarian was on all the juice, every single juice available. He was on it. <laughs> that guy looks so shredded and he pretty much just outworked uh, Shannon Ross in those grappling exchanges. So I'll give him a bit of a pass in that spot because we've definitely seen a more mature and better Shannon Ross come out since that fight. But uh, yeah, I am worried that he could get dinged up here from the outside and end up getting finished himself. Jake Noker is saying, interviewing Billy Goff tonight, just interviewed Chris Duncan too. Both are a lock for me. Call me biased. You are definitely biased because we're about to get to that Chris Duncan fight very shortly here. Mushroom in the chat. Appreciate you stopping by, my friend. Buffo on the beat saying, hopefully Shannon, the son of Bob Ross, is going to paint us a masterpiece in the Octagon Tuesday night. It could happen. Picking him to win, but I am now trusting him with my money in this spot. All right. That brings us to the main event of week two of the Contender Series. Shout out to the uh, 70 live viewers that we currently have with us on this Sunday afternoon. Appreciate you guys hanging with me. I, I will look to either do these on Saturdays or Sunday. Well, Saturdays are always dedicated to the UFC, but I'm assuming you guys would like to get these breakdowns as early as possible. I'll see what the numbers look like. Um, you know, after Tuesday with me doing this on a Sunday, but I will even try to maybe squeak one out on, on Fridays um, just so I can get them out nice and early for you guys. And yes, please do smash that like button as well. All right, main event time, probably the fight that I'm most excited about on this card. We got Charlie Campbell coming in as a minus 140 favorite, going up against Chris Duncan, who's coming in at plus 120. Yes, Chris Duncan, you guys will remember that name from the last season of the Contender Series where he came in as a minus 135 favorite against Vyacheslav Borshev, a.k.a. Slava Claus. Uh, they went to war that night, but uh, Slava Claus was definitely the more technical striker there. He was able to rack up some of those leg kicks. Both guys were landing solid leg kicks, but it ultimately came down to the hand speed and combinations of Borshev, which ended up allowing him to land that big left hook to drop Chris Duncan and end his night. Uh, I remember a lot of hype on Chris Duncan going into that fight, as a lot of people didn't believe in Borshev's ability to keep this fight standing, but Chris Duncan, mainly a brawler in his own right as well, right? So I'd be surprised if he looked out there, looked at that fight to go out there and try to drag the fight to the ground. That should have been the approach, right? Shout out to Mark D. Casey, landing 11 takedowns against Vyacheslav to end that run that Vyacheslav was on. Um, but Chris Duncan wanted to go out there and get a highlight reel finish. Uh, he did come back and, and beat Jonathan Carlos in his next fight. I don't believe I had tape on that for the tape index. Let me just quickly remind myself whether we actually managed to get that up on the tape index but that was one that was difficult to find uh let me just see here it might ring a bell if i if i see that we actually had the tape no we don't have the tape on that fight but he did want go out there and win a complete 50 minute decision how he went about it who knows again not available uh for that tape i even tried contacting the company as well we were not able to get the tape there but um brawler of a striker he's going to be at a speed disadvantage in this spot in my opinion but he likes to throw a big power likes to connect with that big power and put his opponents out charlie campbell on the other hand very fun striker very fun fighter he's six and one lost his second ever um or sorry second ever pro mma fight but since then hasn't looked back as he's on a five fight winning streak um i i remember him after he beat uh nick 
Guletti, Guglietti, um, back in July of 2021. I remember him because he was very brash on the mic. You know, he was very confident on the mic saying that, you know, he hates the fact that Bellator is only giving him these one fight contracts. They need to sign him for a legitimate contract because one, he can talk the talk. Two, he can walk the walk as well, as you showed in uh, fight after fight after fight. Um, luckily for him, he gets his chance on the contender series here to make it to even the bigger show. Uh, you know, leave Bellator to the side. Let's go over to the UFC because I think this guy is a UFC level talent. Now, in terms of his grappling, that is still yet to be determined, right? From what we've seen him deal with on the regional scene, he's held up pretty well. Nick tried getting him to the ground over and over again. Campbell did a good job in terms of nullifying his, his success. Ends up getting back to the to the feet, really punishing him with leg kicks, and then eventually finishing him with punches in that spot. Uh, the v Vadim Ogar fight, you know, another one where he kind of just puts the pressure on these guys and, and gets them out of there. That's one thing I like seeing from Charlie Campbell. Similar to Billy Goff from earlier in the uh, on this card, guys that put pressure on their opponents use their cardio to their advantage, and that is more than enough for them to go out there and get these wins. Even the Cedric Gunnison fight. Uh, you know, uh, somewhat of a back and forth fight, but as the fight starts going on, you see Charlie really putting the foot on the gas and, and getting ahead. Numerous finishing opportunities he had in that fight. Couldn't end up getting it done there, though, but he does get his hand raised via decision that night. Here against Chris Duncan, I think he's going to be the slicker striker. You know, if he stays on his bicycle, is able to put his punches together, maybe land some kicks as well. He could get in and out without getting touched too much by Chris Duncan here. And I think he starts running away with this fight, eventually finishing Chris Duncan later in this fight. I, I'm a big fan of Charlie Campbell. I, I think the kid has a, a solid future. Uh, still need to see him truly tested in the grappling realm against legitimate competition. But from everything I've seen to this point, he does a very good job defensively speaking. And then he does an even better job with his offense in terms of his combinations, leg kicking, uh, consistency, and just putting uh, pressure on these guys and breaking them. So I love the Charlie Campbell side here. He is fighting out of the, the Sarah Longo camp as well. So, you know, he's getting in some good time with some good training partners. I think he beats Chris Duncan here without too much issue. Like early is going to be tough because that's when Chris is obviously the most uh, durable and, 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 and powerful. But as this fight starts to go on, I think it starts to look like that Vyacheslav Borshev fight. Um, maybe not as technical and, and beautiful as Borshev puts those combinations together. But I think it's going to start to look more and more like a Campbell fight as, a start, as this fight starts to go on. I think he knows he needs to put the foot on the gas right, um, right off the bat to drain that gas tank of Chris Duncan so that he can put it into sport mode in that second round and really start to wail on Chris Duncan, eventually getting him out of there in that second or third round. So give me Charlie Campbell. Um, a little bit of money coming in on Chris Duncan actually here because he was roughly around plus 130, uh, or sorry, plus one. Actually, he only got down to plus 128, and then the line went back up to plus 130. But uh, yeah, I, I, think, I think Campbell minus 150 is not a bad spot. Personally, the, the D-Gen parlay that I'm going to go with for this card is Charlie Campbell parlayed with Billy Goff. Think he get, think both of those guys, you know, put the pace on their opponents early, turn on the burners in the second and third round, and then eventually get them out of there. So give me Charlie Campbell in the main event. So quickly recapping the picks that I'm going with for this card. Billy Goff, Waldo Cortez Acosta, Connor Matthews. Very, very tough fight, that one. I think it could be absolutely back and forth, but I'll end up going on the Connor Matthews side. Uh, Shannon Ross, but would not trust him as a minus 240 favorite. And then Charlie Campbell to finish off 
the night. Let's see how I do on my first official predictions video for Contender Series. Hopefully it ends up working out. And hopefully this is something that you guys can rely on seeing every Sunday or Friday, depending on how the numbers do. Appreciate everybody coming out and checking out the breakdowns. Love you guys as always. Uh, again, hit that like if you guys haven't already. Hit that subscribe if you haven't already. Um, and if you want to support your boy even more, the best way to do so is on the Patreon. I don't like to tell the Patreon as a, a picks Patreon because obviously my picks are on there as well, but more so to just support your boy in terms of continuing to do this thing on a full-time basis. Those five bucks a month truly help your boy in terms of continuing to do that so that I can churn out more and more content for you guys on a weekly basis. Love you guys. Appreciate all the all the support in the chat here. You guys absolutely ripped it up on this Sunday afternoon. Good luck on your wages for the contender series. And I should be back tomorrow or Tuesday for the UFC Vegas 59 breakdown as well. So we can get into that card, which looks a little bit sketchy, uh, I should say. But hopefully we can still go out there and end up getting the dubs. Love you guys. Appreciate you guys. Good luck on your best this whole week. I'll see you guys on Tuesday. Peace.